It's go time. Provide news and we'll do our best to cover it for you. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham, Patrick Mooney. We're glad to have you back with our podcast. And let's start with something that broke just at the end of our last podcast, and we had to find a way to get it included, and that was Corey Mace being signed as head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We didn't get too deep into it. Maybe now is our opportunity we can discuss. Uh, first and foremost, watching his press conference when he was introduced to the community, looked like he was just thrilled to tears to have this opportunity and looked like he was going to make players accountable but he's also a guy that can relate to players. That's a great combination. I was very impressed with Corey Mace when he came in and said that this is Saskatchewan's team and we're going to do our best as coaches to give you a team to be proud of. And I think he's going to be a great fit with the Rough Riders. I like the way that he talks about the players being men first and, and you know they, they've got to be accountable on the field as well. I think he's saying all the right things. What remains to be seen is how the players will accept that and how the team moves forward with the Corey Mace era. There's a lot of optimism in Saskatchewan right now with this hire. We saw with Craig Dickinson over the last couple of seasons some cultural issues with the Rough Riders, I would say. And and the biggest factor in that or the biggest indicator of that would be consecutive seasons with a seven-game losing streak to end the season. Corey Mace is the type of guy that isn't going to put up with that. I, I think Craig Dickinson lost the room a bit, lost the confidence from the players. Corey Mace is coming in with an enthusiasm that should fire everybody up. He's already made some hires on the coaching staff as well that we'll dig into. Mark Mueller as the offensive coordinator and Kent Majeri as the special teams coach. A couple of key points. This is going to be a, a defensive-minded head coach, which you look at the last couple of years and there have been some bright spots on defense. He's going to inspire those guys to be even better. This is a, a great hire and we'll see where it goes. As with any coach that gets their first opportunity, you, you've given them the roadmap. You can take that path to wherever you want to go and whether it includes a Grey Cup or not. This is his team to mold and to try to build success the the biggest thing that i took away from his press conference other than his excitement for the job was that he's going to be the real deal there's no pretensions about him where with craig dickinson you always felt like he was acting like the smartest man in the room he knew something that you didn't and i felt that he was just maybe not in as much control of the situation as he wanted you to believe. Now the Garrett Marino, that hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli, and we go back to it, we've talked about it enough. That seemed to be sort of the tipping point in this whole experiment with Craig Dickinson. When he did not act decisively with Marino, as time went on and Jeremy O'Day had to step in, more and more people got disaffected with his leadership. It's my belief that the players in the room know what the other players are doing. They know the quality of individuals that are in the room with them. They know those who are working hard and giving 100% and those that aren't. And I think 
where the Rough Riders faltered in the last few years is that some of the players didn't appear to be giving their all on every play, and I'm not sure that they were held accountable. Coach Dickinson certainly had that aw shucks attitude about, well, it is what it is, and we're moving ahead, and the guys are working hard, and it just didn't work with the group of players that he had. This new coach has to come in and identify those players who maybe aren't giving their teammates everything on the field. Some of those are going to have to leave the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in order for this team to make another step. A couple factors that really excite me about this hiring for the Riders is there was video of Corey Mace walking out, out of the tunnel onto the field for the first time as the head coach, taking it all in. And he certainly seems to appreciate the tradition of the Rough Riders and what they mean to the province of Saskatchewan. He's already committed to moving his family here as well from Ontario. They want to settle in Regina. He was looking at houses on day one. That is a real indicator that he is embracing the community and knows what it means to be the Rough Riders head coach. And I don't know if that's something that Craig Dickinson necessarily bought into 100% during his tenure. If you look at the history and the uh, football acumen that Corey Mace has built. He went to college in Laramie, Wyoming. That's a small town, but it's a one sport town. It's football. So he understood that. And then he goes to the NFL Buffalo Bills for a couple of seasons. Again, another in relative in the United States, a small town, but again, football crazy. And then he winds up with the Calgary Stampeders and you couldn't have much better leadership than what he saw there with John Huffnagel as his head coach, and he wins a Grey Cup in 2014 with Huffnagel. And he's bringing a championship mentality as well. You mentioned he won a Grey Cup as a player in Calgary in 2014. He also won a Grey Cup on the coaching staff with the Stampeders in 2018. He's also now won a Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts in 2022. So he knows what it takes to win. He's got those intangibles. And he's, he's going to put people around him that he's comfortable with, that he trusts completely. And then that's what they're, they're looking to build. The one thing I just want to remind Rough Riders fans of is, yes, you can see immediate success with the head coach, but sometimes to have the right fit, it takes a couple of years to build and turn things the right direction as well. And as somebody who is a lifelong Bomber fan, I know when Mike O'Shea came on board with them as head coach. The first year, they didn't have the success in the standings and people were grumbling a little bit about whether he was the right hire or not. It took them some time to turn that ship around and look where they are now. The Rough Riders may very well be a contender this next year. Even if they're not, you have to believe that this is the guy that's going to change that culture in the room and get this team back to where it needs to be. And a cultural change doesn't take place in a radical way. It's one that has to be built from the ground up. And I think, as you allude to, Heath, that does take time. If indeed this is a cultural issue with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and they have the horses, they have the talent and just need to be able to get the drive, I would say, again, that the coach has to work through who is going to move forward in the culture that we want and who do we need to move on from. That's not to say they want to plug and play and win right away. You do want to do that if you can, but I agree. It may be a slower process than many rider fans are hoping for. One thing that stood out to me, and it was just a passing moment between him and O'Day during that press conference, was the discussion about Trevor Harris. And Mace had already talked to Trevor Harris 
being the quarterback here. And my read on O'Day was O'Day kind of hinted that Harris has got to prove himself. There's nothing that is written in stone that he's going to be the starter, mainly because he only played a handful of games in the 2023 season. What have you got to go on if you're the Rough Riders? And you got to decide if you want to build like Heath's talking about, you better get a quarterback to go along for the ride. He's going to be 38 at camp. I don't think Trevor Harris is your long-term solution. And it's no offense to him. It's just that's facts. Age matters. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. If you're going for the win now mentality, then Harris gives you the best opportunity to win now. If we're building for the future, Harris is not part of that future. He's part of a transition perhaps, but not the future. Now we talk about building something. And let's go to Ottawa, where Bob Dice is going to be into his second year as head coach. He had a rough go of it in the first year. The team finished rock bottom. They did make a move to shore up their offensive coordinator position with Tommy Condell coming over. Last, of course, employed by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He will definitely change the look of that offense. And he has, in the past, led the Ticats to the most points scored in a season, most touchdowns in a season. He knows how to get it done. Is he now going to be that maybe missing link in the coaching staff for the Red Blacks to get them over the hump? And as we always joke about, it's either the Bombers going down or the Red Blacks going up. I think he's going to be under the gun right from the start here. The Red Blacks really struggled on offense throughout much of the season. The general manager is going to have to be pretty busy to make sure he's got the tools in place for Tommy Condell to be successful. Looking at that Red Blacks offensive roster right now, there are some holes there that need to be filled. So it's a it's going to be a work in progress. Bob Dice and Tommy Condell need to get the talent to to coach. And, and that, that comes down to general manager Sean Burke going out and finding them some talent. I, I expect to see some significant roster changes on this Red Blacks team coming into the next season, especially on offense. Ottawa had nothing on offense other than maybe a couple of games where they showed well. The one thing that Ottawa was was competitive, but they lacked the ability to finish drives. They lacked the ability to control the football. And who on that receiving course scared you? Who was the guy that was going to take the lid off? And that was always a problem for them. And so they had no depth in their game. Now, Kahari Jones, he was let go, but I don't put it all on his shoulders. He's kind of a a slinger himself in terms of his attitude about offense. Tommy Condell will be far more controlled. It'll be much more uh, side-to-side, short passing. But Condell will open up the book when he sees the need and he sees an opportunity. For Ottawa, kind of a make-or-break situation for Bob Dice and Sean Burke. This has to start paying dividends now, if either one. And even in Winnipeg, as much as there was angst over Mike O'Shea, from season one to season two, there was a significant change in their record. We move now to Tommy Condell's former team, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and they have made some structural changes at the top. Orlando Steinhauer has stepped away from the head coach role and is now president of football operations. Ed Hervey is back as general manager and now announced Scott Milanovic will be stepping in as head coach. 
some big changes in the organization here, and I think it's change that needed to happen. While Orlando Steinhauer had the tools initially to move forward, this team has just seemed to stagnate. So I think bringing Orlando Steinhauer into the president role, allowing Ed Hervey to step back and be the full-time GM, should allow the pieces to start being rebuilt, because I think this is an organization that's ready for a rebuild. With a new head coach, a new GM, and the organizational structure being changed, it's the opportunity to rebuild. And I think fans will give them some time and be a little more forgiving as they try to build that culture and and that stable of players that can take them to the next level. I don't know that the Tiger Cats are that far away from being a really strong contender. The change with Scott Milanovic as head coach is going to make their offense look a little bit different than what it was previous years under Condell. Whether he goes with Taylor Powell as a starting quarterback, does he trust Bo Levi Mitchell to be a starting quarterback? That all remains to be determined. Of course, salaries are going to impact upon that. The move for Steinauer up is essentially in my universe, that's Bob Young saying you're too valuable to let go. And maybe you didn't want to be coach anymore, but we need you in this organization. And and he is a class individual. You need class people at the top to mentor a situation. Now, Scott Milanovic took the Argonauts and won a Grey Cup in 2012 when they had the game at Skydome. Is Hamilton that far away that they need to rebuild or just rejig? And that is my question. If if we look at where Hamilton was in the 2019 season, they were 15-3 and three and huge favorites going into that Grey Cup game. They have been moving the wrong direction from that high watermark over the last three seasons. I think the the stress and the challenge of trying to be a head coach and general manager starts to take its toll. We talked a little bit in our previous episode about the double duty, and this is exactly what you're referring to, Don, is Orlando Steinauer was struggling to do that dual role successfully and with the energy and attention that he needed to do. But he is a valuable part of this organization. I'm with you. I don't think they're that far away from being a contender. Those three playoff teams from the East over the last couple of years have been pretty interchangeable. A couple of player injuries or a couple of plays here and there. And any one of those teams could have been vying for that Grey Cup. These, the defense, I think, is fine. I think the offense is where they struggle. And Milanovic, now that he's got full reign, I think will be much happier to run the show as he sees fit and get this team going. They're still a playoff team, but they've gone from a 15-3 and record in 2019 to an 8-10 this year. So definitely some concern in the direction they're headed. I agree with you. I don't think they're far away. But you can't look at these last four seasons and, and think it was an even keel. It has definitely been been trending backwards. There's another team that's looking to hire uh, a new coach as well, and that's the Toronto Organauts. After a 16-2 season, the Rough Riders saw success and, and took Corey Mace, their defensive coordinator, who had great success, away. So the Argos are going to be looking for a new defensive coordinator. Any thoughts as to who that might be? Lots of discussion going on about who that could be. Devon Claybrook's name has come up. Devon Claybrook's, of course, has some allegiances with 
Ryan Dinwiddie from their time together in Calgary. And he had a fairly good defense when he was in Calgary. The head coaching position in BC didn't work when he went five and 13. The other name has been tossed about is, is of course, Saskatchewan's Jason Sivers. He had some time with the Argonauts before he was a player there. You have to really assess now what happened on Saskatchewan's defense. Was it the coaching or was it the talent? And that would impact his candidacy. I would like I would love to see Clay Brooks get another opportunity. I don't think he was given the full confidence in that BC Lions head coaching position. Things didn't work out for him there. But another character guy, another one that the players will absolutely rally around. And my hope is that he is given another opportunity somewhere because I believe he still has a lot more to give to this league. Another name that's been tossed about is Kevin Ivan. There's a lifer in terms of the Toronto Argonauts. He played there for 11 seasons as a linebacker, and he has stayed with the team, special teams, and linebacker coach. He has been thought of. William Fields, another one who has been with the team for a while, could be a possibility. This is, if you want to call it that, a real opportunity for the Argos to, to move in a new direction. If they stay in-house, and especially with Kevin Ivan, who's really paid his dues, I don't think they'd go wrong if they went in-house and picked up Ivan. If they do pick up Kevin Ivan, I do think that's an opportunity to potentially bring Jason Shivers in as an assistant as well. I think he's struggled in Saskatchewan at times. They had some excellent defensive players, and there was some bright spots during the time that he was there. But the last few years, that struggle has been magnified, and I think teams may shy away from taking him as the coordinator just based on the riders' performance and collapse in this final year. There's very little risk for the Argonauts to promote from within at this point. They had one of the top two defenses in the league all season long. They were first in a lot of categories, and when they weren't first, they were second in those categories. So strategically... They don't need to completely rewrite the defensive playbook. So bringing somebody up from within is a great way to, A, give another guy an opportunity to move into that coordinator position, and B, continue with a defense that the players know that they're comfortable with and they are very successful with. Toronto, of course, a team that went 16-2 but did not appear in the Grey Cup. I don't think in that East final you could blame the defense for what happened, considering it was an interception for a score, a kick return for a score, and your starting quarterback was playing most of the night with a concussion. It was just a a coalescence of events that just went totally horribly wrong for Toronto in front of their biggest crowd in years. For the Argonauts to consider, though, is if they promote from within, is that going to keep that talent pool there because they've got some quality free agents, especially on defense and O-line that, well, let's just suffice and talk about defense that with that coach that they know already, would that be enough to keep everybody in house and make another run? If they believe they're in the right system, 100%. And a prime example of that, again, I'm going to go back to Winnipeg when Paul Lapolice left the Bombers to become the off, the head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Buck Pierce, who was the the backs coach, stepped into that role, and that offense kept rolling. I can see a similar thing here with Toronto with K- 
Kevin Iben potentially going into that defensive coordinator position, that they've got the pieces there. The players know him. He's been in the organization longer than any of those players have, and it should be a, an automatic transition into taking over in that defensive coordinator role. Second down. Though we are north of the border, we do often discuss events in football south of the border. And on November 30th, I would say this is significant. The USFL and the XFL arrived at a merger agreement. The talk that I heard on the day was that the entity was going to be named the UFL. I don't know if that's happening, but that they were going to cut from 16 teams total down to eight, four would come from each prior league, and that the plan is to start the season on March 30th, 2024. It would be the third time that the XFL has come and gone. So they're beyond the talking about talking stage that the XFL and CFL supposedly got into a few years back, and things are moving forward. Spring football, we have seen the challenges it has faced in the U.S. to really establish a market. And having two leagues competing against each other for players and for airtime just didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, An eight-team league seems to be a a decent compromise. And we have seen a little bit of player movement getting opportunities coming through those leagues. Most notably for CFL fans is Darnell Sankey played an entire season and then came to the CFL for the second half of a season. He played, I believe it was 22 regular season games plus playoffs this year and won championships in both. It's not going to be the norm for people to play that much at that high of a level. It's more of an audition either for NFL opportunities or moving into the, the season beyond. I think this iteration of this new league is is still up against it, to be honest. I Spring football doesn't seem to attract the fans, and I think both leagues brought some novel ideas together, but the interest was waning. I, for one, have not watched a USFL or XFL game, but I know there are fans in the States that that relate to the players that are on the teams, that will follow those teams. So my hope is that this one gives those players an opportunity, because at the end of the day, it is about players having the opportunity to continue a sport they love at a professional level. And I think while we have a reduction from 16 to 8 teams, it may benefit the CFL as well to have people in that league who are looking for something beyond that as well, who may come to the CFL with a little more experience, have the opportunity for more success when they do get here. And now the word was pause 8 teams. That's a lot of contracts. That What happens to them? Are these guys all free agents? What's what is going to happen to them? This is part of the minutia that follows a merger agreement. You got to get into the fine details of how exactly, who, whose rules are you going to use? Are you going to use a hybrid set? Uh, from the XFL, it's the Ar- Arlington Renegades, the DC Defenders, the San Antonio Brahmas, and the St. Louis Battlehawks. The USFL brings in the Michigan Panthers, the Memphis Showboats, the Houston Gamblers, and the Birmingham Stallions. In each case, probably their most successful franchises. However, in the USFL's case, it would be harder to measure because they played out of the hub in Birmingham. 
it looks like the most successful out of any of these teams in any any of these leagues has been whatever has been placed in St. Louis. The the Battlehawks the, the Battlehawks continue to draw crowds and that, and that is filling the void of the Rams relocating to Los Angeles. They no longer have an NFL franchise and there's a hunger for football in St. Louis. Birmingham, Alabama in general is a huge college football state and this gives them something a little bit different. Bowl season will have long wrapped up prior to the season kicking off as well. So that's the likely second best attended team in this league. You look at a city like Washington, D.C. or Houston that already have NFL teams and how much of a draw are these teams in this new league going to be? Well, let's consider Michigan as well. They play out of Detroit. The other thing that you got to consider is how many of these teams are playing in a center where baseball is played. So they're up against them all summer. The other part of this is if you start on March 30th, March Madness in the United States, their college basketball tournament is massive. You're going to be basically squashed in the ratings by March Madness when they get to their grade eight, final four and the championship game. You're starting right at the end of that run. I don't know how you're even going to be noticed. All good points, and it remains to be seen whether or not this merged league is going to be able to meet with success or if it will go the way of other spring leagues and disband itself as well. We know that Fox had a huge stake in the USFL, Redbird Capital, of course, the XFL. How do those ownership groups come together? And does Fox underwrite this regardless because they just want programming in the spring they may be willing to do that for how long i don't know these are all questions that are going to come out and as we move forward into the spring we'll see what happens a lot of question is how does this impact the cfl well i don't know if it does the cfl now looks at the landscape where there's eight fewer teams that means more players are looking for jobs as you mentioned, Don, the, the TV networks is going to be a, a big factor in this as well. Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia, of course, are the two brains behind Redbird Capital. There was different TV deals for the XFL than there was for the USFL. How committed is Fox? Are they going to be the sole broadcaster? One thing that we did see with the Canadian Football League this year was their, their presence on the CBS streaming sites and a lot of traffic there. So a successful streaming season to draw some eyeballs on the Canadian League south of the border, which will only continue to grow. There was a lot of positive feedback from American football fans on the Canadian product. So I, I hope that that continues to grow. These spring leagues... Again, I don't have a lot of faith. We've seen them come and go so often. If they get a third or fourth season out of this league, I will be quite impressed. Another concern raised was the whole issue of college graduates coming into the league. The NFL has its rookie camps and its OTAs at the same time that this league is playing. Now you've got to decide, am I going to play spring football or am I going to take my chance and go straight to an NFL camp and see if I'm not drafted if I I mean that's part of the problem too the NFL draft 
is in the middle of their third week or so. It these all these things coalesce, but you can't you can't get around everything. You can you can move so many directions, but you can't avoid everything that's coming at you. They, they had to choose their pain somewhere, and they chose not to come the week after the Super Bowl. The NFL draft is traditionally the fourth Thursday of April when the first round is televised. So you're looking at starting a, a training camp games going on March 30th. You're now into week four, week five before these players come available. What does that do to your rosters? If you're a, a spring league football team trying to sign players and all of a sudden there's this influx of undrafted or late round draft picks from the NFL draft that are going to be looking for opportunities. It doesn't really instill a lot of confidence and a lot of stability. Third down. We know that free agency is months away, but it's worth it to sort of review team needs and perhaps team players that have to return. And this is going to be huge for some teams. For others, they know that they're going to lose people to free agency. They're already planning for it. Let's start with the Grey Cup champion, Montreal Alouettes. When you look down the list of available people that have an opportunity to leave, you've got, in my universe, the linebacking core of Tyrese Beverett and Darnell Sankey, and then defensive back, Siante Evans, and even Najee Murray. Boy, that's a lot of their defense that could be gone. And that's not to mention Sean Lemon. A lot of those are the same as, as my list here, Don. That linebacking core, Avery Williams, you can also add to that list as of linebackers. Defense was so key in turning this Montreal Alouette season around and winning the championship. I believe Darnell Sankey has fully committed himself back to the CFL. He had his little stint with spring football in the U.S. He came back, helped lead this Montreal Alouettes defense to success. He is a key re-signing, in my opinion. Tyrese Beverett and Darnell Sankey are probably one and two on my free agent list for the Alouettes that are must-haves. Not a lot on offense. They do have five Canadian offensive linemen as free agents as well, so something that they'll want to try to tie up and, and keep that ratio where it needs to be. I'm curious to see what happens with Sean Lemon. He came in for the second half of the season and was a huge difference maker as well. Does he have enough left to earn another one year or possibly even two year contract right out of the gate? I, I think Sean Lemon and Darnell Sankey are keys if Montreal wants to continue to build on the success they've had. When those two stepped into the room in Montreal there was a noticeable difference in the play of the defense. And that's what led this team, in my opinion, to the championship. I take a look on the offensive line. I agree with you, Heath. They've got some work to do. They maybe need to resign. Uh, I felt that there was a lot of pressure on Fajardo throughout the course of the regular season, and they seemed to tighten up a little bit in the playoffs. Another area that stood out for me with Montreal is that pretty well all of their running backs are up as free agents. Now, I'm not sure that they're key signings because I think almost any one of them is replaceable. And uh, I think that, you know, this is an area where Montreal may save some money moving forward and take a look at different running backs and, and go with rookies in order to stabilize that offensive line, defensive line, and bring back that linebacking core. 
it's tough. William Stanback had a big play in the Grey Cup, had a great game in the Grey Cup. Jezrin Antwi, as a Canadian, you don't really want to give up on a Canadian running back. Walter Fletcher could be the odd man out in all of this. That is always possible. The Alouettes have signed to extension Cody Fajardo, so they've got the guy behind center taken care of for another two years. They know what they have there. I would say on that list of offensive linemen, at least three, if not four, will be coming back to the Alouettes. It'll be a question of who they feel isn't going to be a good fit. The Alouettes in that Grey Cup game gave up two sacks against a team that was very good at getting sacks. Are they that far behind at offensive line when they put it together? Let's go to Ottawa. And here's a team that, as I indicated earlier in the show, they finished dead last in the East. Nick Arbuckle, I think his roadshow is over. Devontae Williams at running back is going to be a huge re-sign for the Red Blacks. He really came on in the back half of the season. The receiving core, that's the question mark that I really have. Who among them do you really want to hang on to? When you look at Braylon Addison, Shaq Evans, Justin Hardy, C.O.C. Marner, or Tavon Smith, which of those guys, maybe Marner would be the, the one that I would lean toward but the rest i've got tavon smith as a, as a resign simply because he's a canadian receiver as well so looking at it from the ratio standpoint you need to have that canadian talent that can step in and make things happen i i'm with you the offense really struggled and there isn't really a lot of of threatening receivers in that core so i see some overhaul in that receiving core Devontae Williams did have a bit of a breakout season as a running back. Again, you can argue the value of running backs in the CFL and the ability to find other American running backs to to jump back in. So if Devontae Smith is at a reasonable price, he is certainly one that I would look to re-sign. If he's going to be demanding a higher price than I'm willing to pay, I don't see a lot of flexibility there and you may be looking at other options. On the defensive side, Two names jumped out to me, and, and that's Lorenzo Malden IV on the defensive line and Brandon Dandridge as a defensive back. Two stalwarts for that defense. We know Malden has been a an all-star and uh, an award-winning defensive lineman. And what we saw from Brandon Dandridge last year, he deserves to be back. And, and I think those are two key players to have running that defense. But I would also argue that Ottawa has to do some work in returning the defensive backfield they have. Money Hunter, Ty Cranston, Abdul Kana, Carol Brooks, Damon Webb. There's a lot of pieces that came together. They've got to retain at least a few of those veterans to be able to build on that and hopefully take the next step. The The other areas is a kicker. They have Michael Domagella and Richie Leone, and those have to be uh, considerations in order for the this team to have success in the kicking game as well. On that defensive line, I'm not so sure about Lorenzo Malden because he he did not have a great year. I'll put it that way. And was that a, a sign of something or not? Hard to know. The guy that I would want back is Bryce Carter. 12 sacks last year. In terms of the defensive backfield, yes, Abdul Kenna, Mandrashik Hunter, Brandon Dandridge, all great choices. The other one is Sherrod Baltimore. Where, where do they, or even Cario Brooks, who they, who they brought in from after Hamilton released them, where do they fit in? Uh, Sherrod Baltimore has been there a long time. He could be very important in terms of field generalship out there. Is he slowing a step? Is that going to be a problem for them? Uh, Richie Loyone is 
got to be a high priority because he is such a good punter. Ottawa just has so many needs. If there's one roster that I think is going to turn over other than Edmonton's, this one will. But I don't think it'll be to the degree that we saw in their first year with Sean Burke there. You're going to see a much more tempered approach in free agency. If I'm Sean Burke in this scenario you spoke to earlier, one of the areas I'm looking for is a key receiver for this team because right now they don't have that signature receiver that's the go-to guy. There's some other free agents out there who would be excellent targets for this offense. The team that went 16-2 and has a bevy of free agents on both sides of the ball. We can go all kinds of different directions, but let's start Javon Leak and A.J. Ouellette right away. Two guys that are dynamic. A.J. Ouellette had a breakout year. Javon Leak was an amazing kick returner. You start there and then you work to DeMonte Coxie, who made tremendous downfield catches time and time and time again. Tommy Neal, who never seemed to get that touchdown pass that he wanted. Richie Sandani, who came in late in the season and, and really helped out in Cameron Phillips. Who among them do you not want back? The offensive line, Darius Sirocco, you have to sign. That's an almost a given that he has to come back. Shane Richards is another one. Isaiah Cage, probably. But Darius Bladdock, with injuries impacting him, probably they may be moving on from. That's just the offensive side. There's a ton of people on the defense as well. I take a look at Wynton McManus at linebacker. 29 years old, he's a CFL all-star in his prime, and I think he's a key to bring back on defense, as well as Sean Oakman, a key on the defensive line for them, and Jamal Peters in the defensive backfield. Those would be three critical people that I would choose on the defense, in addition to those people you mentioned, Don. This is the challenge when you have as much success as the Toronto Argonauts have had, is players are due raises, and how do you fit them all in? I was maybe a little bit dismissive on running backs when discussing Devontae Williams. I think A.J. Olette is a must-resign. He is a, a workhorse. He's charismatic. He's somebody that they can market and sell and, and is a, a key. Um, one player that n- you guys did not mention on the defensive side that I had here as well, another linebacker, Nadarius Pickett. So I think McManus and Pickett are a, a one-two punch at linebacker that can really solidify that defensive core. And I, I did also have uh, Sean Oakman and Jamal Peters that you mentioned, Pat. So there's some high-level talent on that defense. If they can get those guys back, you can start to fill in around whether you re-sign the, the current players or you shop around a little bit. Jack Kassar, national, another priority. With Corey Mace now in Saskatchewan, how hard is Toronto going to try to re-up these guys early to get this out of the way? Because you've got to believe that Corey Mace is going to be looking at a couple of guys he had in Toronto and bring them over to Saskatchewan. The Argonauts, the only way they can preclude that is by signing the guys uh, before free agency comes in earnest in February. 100%. I think they've got to really key on who are their must-haves and go hard after them here before that free agency window opens up because chances are Corey Mace is going to have a very similar list of names from that Argonauts team that he believes are must-haves and there's going to be some new contract offers in that negotiating window being tossed around to some of these guys. The Tiger Cats, they've got two quarterbacks as FAs. We talked about them last week. They may, and this is one of the things that came out of the Scott Milanovich press conference, they may part ways with Bo Levi Mitchell. That would leave Taylor Powell essentially as their only signed quarterback. Fascinating situation for the Tiger Cats. 
Sean Thomas Erlington is up for grabs in free agency. If they don't sign him, I think he is a must receivers. They've got decent receivers. The question is, do they have guys that you really want to hang on to? Tim white is probably the best of the bunch. Duke Williams. I think his time there is done. Darrell Walker. Not sure. Let's go to offensive linemen. They have Brandon Redford, Brandon Redford, who is huge all-star anchors that offensive line. Uh, Kyle Saxelid, who they brought in, Chris Van Zyl, who's probably at the end of his tenure, but Coulter with Manzi. This is a huge offensive line, Jordan Murray, that they've got to figure out what they want to do going forward. Scott Mladovich has got to decide. Going through that receiving core, I kind of did the same thing you did, Don, as to who's expendable, who's not. Tim White is the must-have. And then the up-and-comer that they can probably re-sign at a decent price, I have Terry Godwin. He had some flashes of some really good games, and I believe as he continues to develop, he will be a very valuable receiver on that on that team. One of the defensive must-haves actually did re-sign earlier this week, and that was defensive back Stavros Katsantonis. And the other one for me on that uh, defensive backfield is uh, Tunde Adelike. So uh, a couple of, of pieces to that puzzle. Not as many must-haves when I was kind of going through this Hamilton roster if I'm general manager, but there are certainly still a, a good solid core. Hamilton does also have some players that are potentially at retirement age, and I think they need to sign Jameer Thurman as a key linebacker to retain for the future because I do think players like Simone Lawrence may be at the end of their time, if not this year, certainly next year. So that's one that I would add. I agree with your two receivers. I had Tim White, Terry Godwin. They do need to find some Canadian receivers to supplement those two. And uh, certainly for me, the offensive line was the reason behind James Butler's success as a running back. And I think it's crucial that they bring that back and protect whomever they get a quarterback. While Bo Levi is not on the list right now, they need a veteran quarterback. And right now, Matt Schiltz is the only one that they can potentially resign. What about Richard Leonard, defensive back? I don't see him going anywhere. And the other player that this one's going to be controversial, Chris Edwards. <sighs> he may be suspended to start the season for all we know. He is on a lineup anywhere. He's going to have to sit out. I don't know if Chris Edwards has a lot of opportunities left in the CFL, given what's happened over the last few seasons. A talented player, but a tough one to manage. And you're looking at now a new head coach coming into Hamilton. Is that something that he's going to want to deal with? Is Orlando Steinhauer confident enough in his abilities that he thinks he's going to be worthwhile sticking around on that team? I don't know. I think it's maybe time to to cut your losses with Edwards and, and send him on his way. I would argue not just with Hamilton, but the CFL as a whole. And finally, their defensive line, Malik Carney really broke through last year. Uh, Jaguar Davis may be on the wrong side of his career, but Dylan Wynn is solid. Ted Laurent is solid. Tiger Cats, and this is so hard to know, and we talked about it earlier, do they tinker or do they revamp? If you revamp, you're going to take a step back, but maybe that's what they need to do because the Tiger Cats were, as with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, starting to get up there in age. With these four teams, I, I agree, Don. The question is, which are retooling and which are rebuilding. And I think we would agree that Ottawa needs to do more than just retool a little bit. 
The question is, is Hamilton there as well? Because I do think Montreal and Toronto will be at the retooling and adding a few pieces where Hamilton, I think, has a choice to make under Scott Milanovic. Are we going to retool and go for it one more time or are we going to rebuild and change our culture and start new? for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.